It's time for CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, YouTube, and TuneIn. The easiest thing to do is tell Alexa or Siri to play CBJ in 30. Here's your host, Bob McGilligan. Welcome to another CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Last night, the Blue Jackets were in New Jersey. They dropped their third straight game as they fell to the Devils. 3-1 was the final score. It was a 1-1 game in the first period after New Jersey scored early in the period. Max Domi was able to get his eighth goal of the year and tie it. It stayed 1-1 until early in the third period when the Devils got a power play and capitalized on it. And then they added an empty netter to get the 3-1 win. And they took game one of a home-and-home series that will conclude tomorrow night at 7 o'clock at Nationwide Arena. There was one good thing out of that game last night, and it was a really good thing, a really big thing, a huge milestone for Blue Jackets forward Jake Voracek. Last night, he played in his 1,000th game. 361 players in the history of the National Hockey League have played 1,000 or more games. Jake Voracek is now on the list. He is a very fortunate individual. The only unfortunate part about it was the Blue Jackets couldn't get a win. Coming up, I'm going to talk about Jake with one of his former Coming up, I'm going to talk with one of Jake Voracek's former Blue Jackets teammate, former defenseman Mark Mathot, who is now retired and a podcaster. He's going to join me in just a few minutes. We'll talk about Jake, we'll talk about Mark's great times in Columbus and then as he moved on to the Ottawa Senators and the Dallas Stars. All of that coming up in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about the fine people over at Telhio Credit Union who work with you to make sure that you're getting the most out of your money. How do they do that? Many, many ways. Because they have a lot of different services that they can help you out with. To find out about those services, just go online to telhio.org. And you can start by getting the answer to the first question, why should I join a credit union instead of staying with a regular bank? You will find that answer. You will find the answer to all of your questions. And if by chance you don't find the answer, if you're doing this during regular business hours, then there is a live chat option on the right-hand side of the screen. You can click on it and somebody will pop right up on your screen and help you to navigate through. Whether it's something as simple as a personal checking account or whether it's something as complex as a small business loan, they can do everything from one end to the other and everything in between. And they've been doing it for a long, long time. Telhio Credit Union has been a fabric of the community here in central and southwestern Ohio. So go to telhio.org, look to see what they provide and what they can do for you because they just might be a fit. Telhio Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Well, with Jake Voracek playing his 1,000th game this week, I was thinking to myself earlier in the week, I should get a former teammate. What former teammate of Voracek could I get? Uh, Yarmer Yager? No, I probably can't get him. Uh, Claude Giroux? No, I'm not going to be able to get him. Jody Shelley, I talk to every day. That doesn't really count. So I dug deep and I said to myself, I know a guy that fits the bill. And now he's retired. He's a professional podcaster. He'll be perfect. So welcome into the show, former Blue Jackets defenseman, Mark Mathot, who is with me right now. He's the co-host of the Wally and Mathot podcast. Meth, it is so great to see you. I haven't seen you or talked to you for so long since you were playing, for crying out loud. And uh, this is awesome. I really appreciate you doing it. Thanks, Bobby. And, you know, we, we go way back and we've seen a lot of stuff together. 
Um, I know you probably had to go way down the depth chart to recruit me. I'm sure you had plenty of options, as you just mentioned. No, but that's no, okay. I, I, I I, get it did get it did get to this point. I said uh, to myself, "Who can deliver the best hip check?" And you went right to the top of the list. <laughs> okay, fair enough. See, I can work with that. You're you're massaging my ego, so I'm, I'm reengaged. <laughs> you know, it's funny you talk about us going back a long way. I was just telling somebody a story this week. I remember one of our first road trips when you came to Syracuse. And I had been there for a couple of years. And I'm, this was the first time that I was wondering, am I getting too old? And are the players getting too young? Because you had just come in from junior. And I remember sitting on the bus and it was during the day. I, we must have been going to Wilkes-Barre or Rochester. So it had to be because it was daytime. And um, I remember specifically you were sitting not far from me arguing with Alexander Picard about which junior league was better, the Ontario <laughs> Hockey League or the Quebec Major Junior League. And I mean, it was an all-out argument that you guys were having. And yeah. I remember sitting in my seat going, I don't know about this Mathot guy. I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> you know, it's funny. But I, I could still, like, I'm 36 now. I'm obviously far removed from my American League days. But I can still have that same conversation with, with Pick and, and argue with them. Because I, I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, I, I always thought the queue was, was just literally horse crap in comparison to the other junior leagues. And um, I still stand by that to this day, Bobby. Okay. Oh, well, good. Well, good. Your, your convictions are still in the same place. I'm, I like <laughs> to hear that, you know, but obviously, um, you know, you, you went on to, I, I loved being with you in Syracuse. I loved watching you play there. Uh, we were just talking about somebody a couple of days ago who was a, a big defenseman. Like, like when you came in, you were big in size. And at that point in time, especially in the American hockey league, everybody thought, okay, well, if he's big, he needs to hit, he needs to fight. He needs to do all these yeah. things. And that wasn't your game. I mean, your no. game was different, but that hip check I alluded to earlier, that, oh man, that worked out so well, especially in Syracuse, because that rink was just a little bit smaller than regulation size. <laughs> and that allowed you to deliver some devastating blows. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you know, fighting was never, I mean, I, and I could always fight. I mean, I boxed my whole, my whole life and I'm doing some MMA stuff now, but like it, I just, I never really got angry enough to do it. And the stage fighting was never something, by the way, I have nothing but respect for it. And for the guys that do it, I think it's maybe after goaltending the hardest job in hockey. Um, but I mean, for me to get angry enough to do a stage fight was never part of my personality, but I like to be physical, as you mentioned, and I liked hitting guys and all that stuff, but I miss it, Bob, like just, just laying guys out like that and getting the crowd up on their feet. I guess it's in some ways akin to a fighter, knowing that feeling where everyone gets out of their seats after a big fight. It's, it's very similar in many ways. And um, yeah, it's something, it was a part of my game that I slowly developed uh, coming out of junior hockey. And um, you just, I got into a routine and I started laying a couple here and there. And I realized that not a lot of players were doing it. And as you know, when you want to make a name for yourself, you have to bring something to the table that a lot of other players were, aren't willing to do. And that was something that I was able to accomplish. And then as your career went along, guys knew, right? Like they're skating yeah. up the boards and they're looking, they're going, Oh crap. I know what's well, coming was, now. Yeah. And that reminded me, we did an interview with Nick Foligno and, and, and Nikki brought that up in the interview where before the game, uh, allegedly some of the guys were warning him like, Hey, just stay away from a thought, watch out for his hip checks. You don't want to be, you know, a postered and, and sure shit in that first game back that I played against Nick, I caught him. Um, and I still remember the fan, the fans are all up in arms, like, come on, like call a penalty. But um, I guess Nick went back to the bench afterwards and they all kind of looked at him and said, Hey, we were, we told you so. And he kind of, kind of shuddered. So um, that's, that's, like I said, it's something that I've always enjoyed doing and to be able to do it against Nicky, he was a really good um, sport about it. I didn't have to fight him afterwards. So I'm thankful. So shout out to Nick Foligno for that. 
Yeah, I love how you said too that you could never get mad enough for a stage fight because that that perfectly fits your personality. Because this is the way you come across right now. This is you. This is who you are. So that yeah. that's that makes total sense to me. Hey, we'll talk about Felino in a minute because obviously you got traded for him, and that's how he wound up in, in Columbus for a long time. But I do want to ask you about playing with Jake Voracek. Now I was with you in Syracuse for a couple of years. You come up to Columbus, and I distinctly remember when I first got here in the fall of two thousand nine. It was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you were here. Derek Broussard was here. There were a lot of guys that were in that Syracuse dressing room that had made their way to the National Hockey League. Alexander Picard was here. And, you know, it, it was really comfortable for me because I knew so many of you guys. But Jake Voracek was a new guy for me. But I just watched how you guys interacted with him. And I said to myself, okay, this guy's a good guy because he, he, he was just like you. And you guys were having a lot of fun. Maybe too much fun at that point in time. Yeah, we – it's those – those years, those Columbus years from like 08 to, or I guess I should say 08, 09 to, I guess, 12, 2012, those were so much fun. I mean, we all lived in the same building across from Nationwide Arena uh, in Daniel Burnham Square. There's like a little apartment complex there. And it was like myself, Steve Mason, uh, Jake Borchak, uh, Derek Broussard, Jared Bull, Chris Russell. I know I'm probably missing a player. I hate doing that. But we had, it was almost like a little dorm, right, <laughs> for professional hockey players and it was such a good setup. And at the time, you don't realize what you have, especially when you're a rookie in the NHL, right? So, um, you know, we had a great setup. The Nationwide Arena is beautiful. We had a great fan base. I still miss it to death. I miss playing there. Uh, the practice rink was right attached, which was, by the way, something that I absolutely took for granted. Now that I, that I you know, afterwards playing in Ottawa, having to commute up and down the road to the, the cold outdoor practice rink wasn't fun. But um, we had a good thing going. And Jake, Jake was a big part of that. He was such a gregarious personality. You know, he was funny, as you mentioned. You could kind of razz him a little bit, and he, he could take it. He could also dish it, though. He wasn't shy. He had that broken Czech, Czech accent of his that he came, you know, came over with, and, and it made it that much funnier. And he always had a disheveled look to him, Bobby. Like, you know, I don't know if he combed his hair ever at all, but he just looked like he had just rolled out of bed. I don't and, think he owns uh, a comb to this no, day. I really don't. No. And the one story, and I, I think I told this one last week, the one thing that I still remember very vividly was one of our first road trips. It was a day trip. We were going to like Nashville or whatever it was the day before the game, of course. And we're all going in onto the plane with our little overnight bags and Jake doesn't have a bag. Right. So we're thinking like, okay, he must've forgotten or something happened. So I think Bowler, Jared was never shy to make fun of Jake or at least have fun with him. Bowler goes, Jake, where's your bag? Jake, like, do you not have your toiletry kit on you or anything like that? He pulls out this old disheveled, toothbrush like a it looked like a horse brush or something you would clean like piping with and pulls it out of his jacket pocket he goes no I'm good I got my toothbrush and puts it back in goes on the plane and sits down like nothing happened so um that that best encapsulates what Jake Borchek was like he was a funny guy very low maintenance uh and a lot of fun to be around well you can get away with that in Nashville by the way yeah <laughs> true very good point <laughs> it it at that time, obviously, you guys are all young and you're just getting your start in the league and nobody's yeah. looking around and saying, man, I wonder who's going to make a thousand games before it's all said and done. And, yeah. um, you know, to, to see Jake going to be reaching that milestone or having reached that milestone now, um, you know, what is what, what do you think about that? I mean, the first thing I wonder if you think, man, that was a long time ago. I can't believe how much time has gone by. But yeah. I, I guess, does it surprise you that he's the guy that's hitting that mark? Yeah. Uh, uh, if you would have asked me when I first got into the league, who would reach a thousand games? Um, 
I don't know that Jake would have been at the top of the list, not based off his play, but he never looked like a physical specimen by any means. You know, he wasn't your poster child for fitness or any of that kind of stuff, but he did have these absolute Tonka truck legs. So I will say this, he was very strong, lower body, good skater, strong on the puck. Um, but yeah, I never really pegged him for a guy that would have that much longevity. And, and naturally what comes with that is just me being able to stay healthy. Um, you know, I dealt with a bunch of injuries, surgery, stuff like that. I know a lot of guys that we played with at the time, same thing, but with Jake to get to a thousand games at this age now that he's at now, it's very impressive. And I, I can't speak highly enough of that. I mean, I, I know what it's like to grind through 82 games in a season. It's hard. It's demanding uh, mentally as well. Um, and, and this is, you know, that's a credit to what Jake's been able to do. He's been able to find that sort of rhythm where he's been able to stay in the lineup. Now he hasn't had a ton of playoff success by any means, or he hasn't won any cups yet, but you can't take that away from him. He's, he's like I said, to, to be able to stay healthy for that long, play a thousand games in the NHL, like he's on a short list, um, is incredibly impressive. And, um, I commend him for that, uh, fantastic player and I, I really uh, probably one of my favorite teammates that I've ever played with and all of you guys that were there at that time you ended up getting traded off somewhere else and ironically yeah. for Jake he winds up back in a Blue Jackets uniform when he hits game number 1000 and you know I talked to him this week and it's almost surreal for him that he's back here when you leave you never think you're going to come back most guys never do come back but for right. Jake he went one place he went to Philly for 10 years and he's back here now and I would imagine as a player, that's pretty special, isn't it? Yes. And, and, and the moment he was traded back, I almost felt this overwhelming sense of, you know, and yeah, I was envious. I, I was a little jealous. I was envious because I think for a lot of players, that's sort of a scenario that you'd like, right? Like you have your rooted foundational years with a certain organization. It's, it's whether you're winning games there or not, you'll never forget those years, right? Because they're the most impactful that you'll have in your career. And then you go on and you have some good seasons. You know, he's obviously had a lot of success in Philly, had a really good little uh, career there. But then to be able to go back, I mean, I, I would kill for that just to get back into Columbus and play a couple seasons there and get back to, you know, what I was used to and, and playing in front of that fan base. So um, Jake's very lucky, quite frankly. And I was shocked when that trade happened. Um, as you mentioned there, Bobby, it's something that you don't typically see at this level. And the fact that he's able to go back and do that not only go back to his old, you know, stomping grounds, if you will, but to be able to play that thousandth game there um, is really cool. So again, I, I, I'm kind of repeating myself, but really, really happy for him. Yeah. And he was, he's been a shot in the arm for this team really. And when he got traded, I mean, I was shocked that they traded Cam Atkinson. I'll be honest with you. Um, but to know that Jake was the guy coming back, I was like, Oh, yeah. this is great. Just because uh, all the other things besides the game of hockey, you know, he can play, you know, he's going to, you know, they bring him in because they want him to play with Patrick line. A line a shooter. They need somebody to give him the puck. That's Jake's MO right there. But the 100%. personality that he brings is just infectious. And I, I think especially for a team that is going through a retooling or a rebuilding, whatever the word is that you want to use, it's important to have those kind of guys. Don't you think? Oh God. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 he's a glue guy. Uh, I can't stress that enough and how important that is to have in your room. And I know it sounds kind of cliche. People tend to kind of gloss over those things and, and think, okay, yeah, yeah, well, he's a glue guy, but Jake really is. He's, he brings an infectious personality into that locker room, right? We're on those days where you're really tired. You're coming into the rank like myself. I was a cranky player when I played and you know that Bobby, you know, if it was a back-to-back, -back, I'm in there and the next day I'm bitching and complaining about how tired I am. I would still go and do the job, 
but I never really brought a ton of positivity all the time, at least not on a consistent basis. But what Jake does is just that, you know, he'll come in, he's kind of goofy, even on a bad day for Jake, you could still play around with them and have fun with them and, and chirp them. And, you know, he'll chirp you back, he'll dish it. Uh, and, and really when you're building a team, those guys are incredibly important to have because the young guys, they see it. They see the personality that he brings in, the positivity that he brings in. And when you're around the same group of players for a long year like that, you need those players. There's no question. So um, with a young group that's sort of emerging with some veterans sprinkled in, not to mention being able to complement a player like Line. I mean, that in itself is a huge role that he's filling. So everything else is bonus. And, and, and he's done just that, I think. And that's, that's something that I've always stressed throughout my career. Having those glue guys are crucial. Talking with Mark Mathot, former NHL defenseman. He started his career with the Blue Jackets. He's now a podcaster, which we're going to get into. You know, you mentioned that term glue guy, and I'm glad that you talked about that because here's something I think that we get guilty of, Mark, and in, in you know the Columbus market so well, you can understand this. Um, yeah. Sometimes you tend to think, oh, everybody knows everything about hockey, and that's not the case because uh, even though there have been fans that have been around for the 21 years the franchise has existed, Let's be honest, when this team went to the playoffs four straight years uh, just recently, a lot of new people came on that are just really getting into the game right now. So when you say glue guy, um, it's good to, to just talk about the fact that, you know, they just keep everybody sticking together, right? You don't have to be yeah. the most talented guy. Jake does play on the first line, but you could be a, a fourth line guy and still be a glue guy, right? Yeah, 100%. It, it goes across the lineup. And um, the, another example that I can use here, a, a recent example, of course, maybe a guy like the captain here in Ottawa with Brady Kachuk. He's a player. I don't know how familiar the Columbus fans are with him, but very similar in that he's kind of got a little bit of a swagger to him off the ice. He loves the game of hockey, just like Jake spends a lot of time at the rink. He's a good leader. And, and this is sort of the analogy that I used earlier where, you, you know, on those days where you might not be feeling great or you might be feeling a little down or you kind of got the, the winter, the winter blues, if you will, in the middle of the, the NHL season, when you're up here in Ottawa and it's minus 30 and you're going to the rink and it's just another game. Those are the guys that kind of bring you up in the locker room, right? They can bring up the energy level. Um, it's, it's infectious throughout the, uh, the rest of the group. And Jake is no exception to that. He's been able to do that for his whole career. I still remember playing with them and being able to laugh with them prior to a game because he made some dumb comment as a joke to get a rise out of me, even if it was a chirp. That's the stuff that he brings to the table. And um, you mentioned that. And he just happens to be a first line forward as well, which is awesome. So uh, you, you can't, I, rather, I cannot stress that enough how important it is to have those guys. And you can see them around the NHL. And oftentimes they kind of fly under the radar. They don't necessarily need to be your number one center or a number one D pairing type player. It can be anybody. And, and those are typically that adds longevity to a career. If you're a guy that happens to be a role player on the third or fourth line, and you also happen to be a really good dude off the ice that kind of galvanizes a group that adds years to your career. So it goes without saying that it's very important to have. I was just laughing because when you said that he might chirp you just to get a rise out of you, that you made me think about so many times I would be in the room and somebody yeah. would say something to you because you're the kind of guy you just can't shut up and not say something back. I mean, you no, always, I gotta yeah. yeah, I got to have the last word, Bobby. I know you know that. I do know that. And I, <laughs> I, I forgot that for a moment until you said about him chirping you. And I thought, how many times did I hear Mark just running his yeah, mouth it's, across it's the room? Not like your typical, it's not your typical office atmosphere, right? Like some, <laughs> some really offside things can get said where you would think otherwise, if HR got involved, you'd get fired and probably never work there again. 
But oftentimes in sports, particularly in hockey, you can say pretty much anything you want. I think it's it's kind of changing. I think they're a little more sensitive to some of that stuff now. But when I first got into the league, it was a little out of control. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really out of control. I, the, yes, the verbiage has changed a lot yes. in those years. Yes. There's no question about it. But it's no. still the reason. And look, I'm like this too, Mark. I, if I went and got another job somewhere doing whatever, I would have to grow up. I have a free yeah. pass to be a child <laughs> in this job every day, right? Yeah, well, you're no well exactly. And when you're you've been around like on the broadcaster side, yet exposed to all the all the the locker room antics, you're almost automatically integrated into that, right? I mean, you can't escape it. So I feel like you'd have a very hard time getting a government job here in, in Ottawa. <laughs> I would have a hard time getting a government job in any country. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> um, yeah, because what what I like to do is I just like to go around and like say something to one guy who might yell across the room at another guy. And then when they're arguing back and forth and then somebody says, who started this? I'm already down the hallway. I'm gone. Yeah. I started it, but I'm gone. Yeah. You just plant your seed and you take off. Exactly. I've done that too. I'm, I'm it, a huge fan of that play. Yeah. That's one of the most fun things. Cause by the time they figured out who got it going, you know, you're gone and they can't say anything. Then they forget by the next time. So it's all good. Correct. <laughs> hey, when you look around the league right now, it, you know, there are some of your former teammates that uh, they're retired and there are other guys that are still in the game. Jared Bowl now is, you know, on the coaching staff here with the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Uh, Derek McKenzie's an assistant coach uh, with the Florida Panthers. I was just talking with Matthew Darsh the other day. He's an assistant general manager with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um you know, you, uh, right now you're doing this podcast thing and that's great. You're staying involved in the game, but yep. uh, do you have any aspirations of finding a way to, to get back in, in a similar way, like some of those guys? That's a tough one. I, I, I try to rack my brain around that once in a while. Cause I, I think about it. You see some of your teammates now working with other organizations, as you just mentioned, and it kind of, you know, the light bulbs start going off a little bit, but I also know how much work is involved when you're a coach and you're at the rink, you're at the rink more, as you know, Bobby, than the players. You're like you're there first thing in the morning, cutting clips. I feel like 90% of their work is just cutting clips, which by the way, I have no time for. Um, and I've kind of got my foot in the door now with TSN a little bit up here up North. So I'm, I'm doing a lot more broadcasting on TV as well. And I'm doing a color, I'm doing a little color commentary, oddly enough, for the first time this upcoming Friday for an OHL game, just to see how it goes. Um, but coaching if the opportunity presented itself, maybe I would. Uh, it would have to be the right situation, the right place. Uh, but otherwise, I'm pretty content with where I'm at now. I'm not really, I'm not itching to get into anything unless, you know, someone reached out and offered. But otherwise, I'm pretty happy where I'm at. It's funny you say that about the, the video clips, because I remember when Jody Shelley first started uh, doing color. And the first year he was here, he worked with me on radio before he moved over to TV. And, yeah. you know, so many players, when you get out of the game, you want to be involved in management because, it's it's like you know you still have a hand in winning even though you're not playing anymore right and I remember one day we were sitting on the plane Jody was right next to me and um he, he was talking about that and the coaches all had their computers out ahead of us right and I said uh I said hold on for just a second I go look up there I said you see what those guys are all watching this was after a game we were on the way home and we got beat yeah. in the game so I said you yeah. see what all they're they're watching that terrible game that we just had to watch for three hours they have to go back and they have to break it down and watch it again repeatedly. I said, you see what you have on your computer? Netflix, figure it out. Yeah. This is the way to go. <laughs> exactly. No, but it's it's true. And I think a lot of fans or a lot of people don't always really understand that aspect of the, work, of the line of work that is coaching. Um, because it's like, not only are they cutting clips and watching it again, but then 
you have to present it to the group the next day. And I can tell you from a player's point of view, 90% of that stuff kind of goes in one ear, goes out the other, because you're usually tired. You already know where you've made mistakes on the ice, but coaches are just kind of keeping up with the way things are going. And if other teams are doing it, they have to do it. So sometimes there's just so much work and information that's getting thrown at you as a player and less might be more in those cases. I know that might be controversial. Not all coaches want me want to hear that, especially the ones that are putting in all that work, but I can tell you, I, I remember sitting in those video rooms and just going, uh, okay, are we done yet? Like, I, I just want to go skate. Like, let's just get this over with, you know, and, and that it's the truest thing. Now, you can tailor it individually to some players and you can show them a couple clips if there were some glaring mistakes, but oftentimes at the NHL level, players know when they've made a mistake, they know where they screwed up on the ice. So um, that's another reason, as you just mentioned, why I'm a little hesitant to get into the coaching thing. I mean, a player director, a player assistant type person, I think I would, it's more casual. I think I could do, but getting in there on the board and, and doing all that, that computer work isn't for me. I know what you're really saying. If Derek Dorsett can be a player development coach, you can be one. Oh, is Dorsett is Dorse a player development coach? Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's I with no us. Idea. He's a, he, Rick Nash is running the department, and Derek Dorsett just came in this summer as a, uh, you as a full-time me? guy. I, yeah. so, so Nasher's the guy I got to call then. Okay, Nasher's the guy. You. Nasher's right, the guy. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> no doubt. You know, I, I still remember the winters in Ohio. They are night and day better than where yeah. I'm at now. So I'm down. I might, I might send Nasher a text. <laughs> Talking with Mark Mathot, and we talked earlier about uh, Nick Felino and you know that trade. Look, I was very sorry to see you go when you went. I also knew the guy that was coming over because I had seen him in Binghamton in the American Hockey League uh, in Nick yeah. Felino. And for you, it was going back home to Ottawa. For Nick, it was coming to a team where he eventually left a, a great mark here as a captain for a long time. Um, I remember when Jim Clark was the assistant general manager of the Blue Jackets back in the early days. He used to tell me that the best trades are the trades that benefit both teams. And I feel that that trade benefited both of the franchises. Do you agree? Yeah, that was that was a good trade, uh, really. I mean, I think it worked out really well for both of us because, of course, they were looking for somebody in Ottawa to compliment Eric Carlson through his prime years there. And um, I just come off, I believe my last shift, I always joke about this, my last shift as a Blue Jacket was me breaking my jaw and then getting scored on with the rebound. And then of course I never saw the ice again, but that summer um, right after that last season, I ended up going to the world championships and um, had a really good tournament there. And I think that's where I got a little more exposure with the Sens guys. And so anyway, yeah, I go to Ottawa and things really, really worked out well for me there. Cause I get invited to the Olympic camp in the summer. I had a really good year and things and Eric and I had a really good chemistry thing going and Nick conversely goes over to Columbus. I think he had a bit of a harder time initially, but then really settled in um, and, and ended up getting being captain and having a huge impact in that city, not only on the ice, but off the ice, he was doing a lot of great work too. And I can tell you this, I, I know this because a lot of the guys obviously were very familiar with Nick being in Ottawa and not one person ever had anything negative to say about Nick Foligno. Uh, you know, he's salt of the earth type of guy. I know their whole family is, but particularly with Nicky, really good guy. And I got to meet him a little bit as well. I met him that summer at the NHLPA meetings prior to the lockout that we had and really, really down to earth guy. It was, it was uncomfortable. I've never been traded before. That was the first time I'd ever been involved in a trade. And I think the same applied for Nick. And, um, you know, we met and I remember walking into the uh, auditorium for the PA meetings and you had all the Columbus Blue Jackets guys sitting together. And then you had all the Ottawa guys. And I knew all the, the Columbus guys, but I had to go sit with the Ottawa players. So Nick and I kind of walked in and went off to our separate ways. And um, it was an interesting dynamic. But yeah, I think in the end, it worked out well for both organizations. It was 
two areas that needed to be addressed. I never wanted to leave Columbus. I loved it there. I had just purchased a condo uh, that year before I got traded and I'd signed the new deal, but that's what happens. That's the game. And then you ended up moving on eventually from Ottawa too. Yeah. Yeah. So after five years in Ottawa, I ended up in Dallas through the expansion draft and uh, Vegas obviously had different plans when they picked me up. They moved me immediately to Dallas and I loved it there. I loved living in Texas. My family and I, my son was born there. So he's got his American citizenship now. He's in, he doesn't even have his Canadian passport yet. So with COVID and all that, and I'm not exactly the most responsible guy when it comes to the administrative stuff in the house here. So, um, but no, we, we had a really good time down there. So, um, you know, that was unfortunately the last of my career. I had an injury that kind of uh, shelved me for the rest of time and I'm still dealing with pain there, but um, I miss it, man. I miss playing. Tell me about the Wally and Mathot podcast that uh, you are a big part of, obviously. And I know it's a relatively new thing after you got done playing, you got into it, yeah. but you didn't waste a lot of time getting right into this area. How did it all happen? Well, I, I took a year. I mean, so the first year in a retirement, I, I just couldn't, you know, you're, you're, you're just, you're freshly removed from the game. And I had a hard time going on to that other side, the dark side, if you will, of criticizing players or being critical. Um, I, just I call it that all it. the time, by the way. Yeah. I always call it the dark side. <laughs> the dark it's fine. Side, yeah. I, you know yeah, what? I, I love Darth Vader as a kid, so I don't care. Say it all you want. <laughs> same, same. So, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I turned down, I had a bunch of offers. You know, people were talking, a couple of networks too, wanted me to kind of join them because I've always been comfortable with the camera and on the radio. And um, I just kept turning things down because I wasn't ready. And then finally, that first year was hard. I, I can recall retirement being very difficult. You know, as you know, with players, we're so re routine oriented and being on a strict schedule. And then all of a sudden you're just free. And I was still young. I was 35. I didn't know what to do with myself. And we had two young kids, but we figured it out. And a year went by and Brent Wallace had just been released from TSN. They were making cuts up North here on the network. And he reached out to me and asked if I was willing to get involved. And I thought he was the perfect guy to do it. He was notable. He had a lot of experience. So we did this Wally and Mathot podcast. It's obviously more focused and driven to the market here with the Ottawa Senators, but I enjoy it. It's casual. It's a couple of days a week. We get some really good guests. We've had Hitch come on along with many others. And did he uh, yell at you when he was on there? No, but you know, but he was, you know, we, we've always had a good deal of respect because Hitch was my first NHL coach with the yeah. Columbus Blue Jackets. And he was actually my last NHL coach in Dallas. So I had a good, uh, you know, I've had a, I've had the pleasure of dealing with him a lot and we've always had a great deal of respect for each other. So he was really good with me, but um, no, the podcast is good. It keeps me busy and keeps me kind of, you know, gets me out of bed, if you will. So uh, we're happy with that. I'm, I'm exploring new options and avenues now uh, to see if I can kind of expand a little bit. But otherwise, I'm, I'm pretty content with where I'm at. It's a beautiful world today because I tell students this all the time. I said, when I was getting into this business, it, you either worked at a radio station or you didn't do it. And, and now you can just do your own thing. And, and I yeah. think that's great for uh, for both of you guys. I mean, you know, you both wind up in similar situations. He gets let go from TSN. Your NHL career comes to an end. Uh, you had a relationship yeah. there and and you guys have made it work. And, and again, it's a Wally and Mathot podcast. You can find it wherever you find your favorite podcast. And you guys do get a pretty good lineup of guests. Yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of good ones. We're lucky, again, being up here, you get a lot of good media personalities. We get all the big TSN guys and we get a lot of players and coaches. We just had Dave Cameron, who was coaching the uh, world junior team of Canada. He just came on. That one's dropping today, I believe. Um, so yeah, no, anyway, I, I appreciate the plug by the way, Bobby, but yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's good. we got a good thing going. 
uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We just screw around on there and, 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 and shoot the shit about hockey. And, um, you know, we're still changing and trying to figure out where we're going with it, but for now it's, it's going well. You know, Dave Cameron, I remember when he was the head coach of the Binghamton Senators. I was, That's I was right. telling somebody, I, I was telling my, my pregame host still entire the other day, uh, after I talked to Matthew Darsh, I mean, you know, here he is, he's Julian Breesbaugh's right, right-hand man in Tampa now, yeah. you know, and Jamie Pusher is, is their top pro I scout know. in yeah, Tampa. Push. And I, I, yeah. I said to Dylan, I said, uh, you see, if you stay around long enough, <laughs> your players get into really important positions and that's how you network in this business. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, and it, you know, it, it's, it's, but it, I think with a lot of organizations they can never get enough players involved. I think it's such mm -hmm. a crucial aspect to building a good sort of um, atmosphere around the room and a good culture, right? When you've got a lot of guys and I can really speak on that. When I went to Dallas, I was really impressed with the way things were run there. They had a lot of alumni involved with the team all the time. You always saw guys like I saw Marty Turco almost every day. Like there, there was always notable players floating around that you could talk to. And, uh, and they took very good care of the alumni too, which, which speaks volumes of that organization. So that's something I've always believed in. So as you mentioned, whenever you can get a, a couple NHL guys to, to help out here and there. And obviously Columbus is doing that now too, which is huge. Um, it can go a long way for the team. And one more thing before I let you go, because you bring that up sure. I, to me, cause you know, and you know this uh, from back in Syracuse, I've done a lot of baseball in my career too. What yeah. I, one thing I like the most about hockey is that when the players are done, they don't want to be done. They want mm. to be around. They want to be back, whether it's a management role, whether it's a broadcast role, whether it's like you said, just being around the building and feeling like you're still part of the group. You're, you're not, you're not the same part that you were, yeah. but you still feel like you're a part of something. Why is that so important to hockey players to still want to be in the culture? Yeah, that's surprising. I, I mean, I didn't realize it was mostly focused towards hockey. I just assumed most sports did that, but you would know more than I would, of course. So, uh, well, I'll tell you what the star, the star players, especially like in baseball, and and they've made a lot of money, so I guess they don't have to do anything anymore. Yeah. But I mean, in hockey, you see, you, you see a lot of players. Um, you know, you see a lot of fourth line guys, third line guys, but you you also see the the top guys. I mean, Joe Sackick's a general manager in Colorado. I mean, he doesn't yeah. have to do that. He made his mark as a player. He doesn't have to come Good back point. and do that, but he's still there. Well, you, you just have so many good people in this game, you know, and, and, and it's, it's very tight. It's tightly knit, um, you know, and, and, and I can speak to this. I know a lot of players in hockey, you know, when, when, when you're finished at the rank, you're finished practice, whatever it is, you're still hanging out afterwards. You're still doing things. I've heard of, you know, other sports where, you know, group dynamics aren't necessarily the same. Hockey's very tight. It's just the way it is. It's always been that way. And I think, that, I think as a whole, we take pride in that as players too. And, um, you know, it speaks to the culture, the personality, um, the love of the game, you know, it's just all those things encapsulated into one. And it's a really good little point you made where it's not just the grinders, the, the pluggers and the third and fourth line guys that are involved afterwards, you still have the star guys coming back too. And I think that's the biggest indicator on how much we do truly love this game. And, um, anytime, and I could speak to that too. I think right now, I mean, I'd love to be involved with an organization that's, you still feel like you're part of something. It gives you purpose. You're able to be in that atmosphere where you're kind of shooting it with the guys every day. You're talking about something you love, um, yet there's still a little bit of pressure on you to do a good job and um, run that business properly. I think all that stuff, it just gets you out of bed. And, and, and that's something that I'm always striving for every day. The podcast does that for me. But in, in this case, with a lot of these players, that's what it brings for them. It's not just um, you know stability and work life. It's, it's relationships and talking to guys and being involved. And that's something that I think you can't replicate anywhere else. Absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent. Now, once again, I'm going to give you one more plug here because that's what we do in this business. Wally and Mathot <laughs> podcast 
wherever you find your favorite podcast, make sure you search for it. You will enjoy it. Mark, it's so great to talk to you again. Uh, this was this was fantastic. And one of the things I like the most about guys like you is that you don't see them for a long time and you get back together and it's like the first day of school. It's like nothing ever Agreed. changed. So yeah, thank man. you, my friend. This has been awesome. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best with the podcast and with anything else to, that you decide to do. By the way, I still work games by myself here, Matt. So, you know, somewhere, if this OHL color thing goes well for you, make sure you let me know. Okay. Well, I may hold you to that. Okay. So be prepared. <laughs> I am prepared, my friend. I'm prepared. Okay, buddy. Thank Sounds you, Mark. Good. Thanks for having me. That is former Blue Jackets defenseman Mark Mathot. That was so much fun. I hope that came across. I hope you had a good time listening to it. It's not a surprise this guy is now talking for a living in the next phase of his life. He is very, very good at it. Again, the Blue Jackets are going to be back on the ice tomorrow night at Nationwide Arena. They will take on the New Jersey Devils once again, a chance to split this home-and-home series. Tomorrow night is special for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is First Responders Night. We will celebrate our first responders in this day and age, what we've gone through for almost the last two years, first responders are so important. We always recognize these people, but in the last couple of years, it's become even more of a focus. So they will be recognized and celebrated tomorrow night. And also, speaking of celebrations, we will celebrate Jake Voracek playing in his 1,000th game. You don't want to miss any of this. You can get your tickets by going to bluejackets.com. The game is at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. The pregame coverage starts at 6.30, both on the Blue Jackets Radio Network and on Valley Sports Ohio. Once again, I'd like to thank my fantastic guest. And I don't say that about every guest. You know that. I very seldom, if ever, say fantastic guest. But today, it fits the bill. I'd like to thank Mark Mathot for being on the show. And thanks to you, as always, for being there and listening to CBJ and 30 presented by Tell Ohio Credit Union. Until next time. I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.